0: If you got your uh, Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you want to look it up on the app, there's a, a Bible application there. And if you follow the link, then it's got all uh, all my notes and some quotes and some additional stuff as well. This is right in the middle of what we call the Beatitudes, where Jesus is laying out his manifesto for what it really means to be a Christian. And I think we need to go back to reading this manifesto because it's so easy to forget what it means to be a Christian, to be someone who represents Christ. Last week we started this little series looking through the Beatitudes called Christians Act Like Christ. And it's a statement And it's a rebuke and it's a reminder that if we're going to carry the name Christian, we must do all that we can to form our life in alignment with the life of Jesus. I was talking to someone the other day and they said, how do I find out about religion? They said, well, that's a big question, but I can tell you what it's like and what needs to happen for you to find out what a Christian is like, you need to look at the life of Christ. We are Christians because we reflect the life of Christ. And this is our manifesto. This is a picture of what it means not just to look like Christ, to act like Christ, but to think like Christ. And there's a challenge here to align our hearts to think like Christ. Jim and I were talking after service last week, and he reminded me of a quote that someone said to him. And he said, if we were in a courtroom, and you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What does that evidence look like? It looks like the life of Jesus. We've tried in all kinds of ways to remind ourselves to live like Jesus. You remember a few years ago, there was the WWJD fad. What would Jesus do? Stuff. Well, we got little Bible covers that said, what would Jesus do to remind us to do as Jesus would do? We got little uh, necklaces and little bracelets, all that said WWJD. It's good stuff. It's a good reminder. But in the Beatitudes, we're reminded that acting like Jesus acts is a whole lot more than just consciously thinking, what would he do? I remember during that WWJD fad, seeing some what would Jesus do boxer shorts. And I remember thinking to myself, if you've got to get down to your boxer shorts before you ask the question, what would Jesus do? You're probably not going to help too much. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Jesus aligns himself with something that was very important to the Jews and the Pharisees. She says, I haven't come to abolish the law. There needs to be a standard. There needs to be a plumb line of what's right and wrong, because if there's not, then there's just chaos. And there needs to be a standard of of law, because God is holy, and he's perfect in all his ways, and we're not... And if we think that we're like him in our sin, we're missing the point. So he says, I haven't come to do away with the law. In fact, I've come to fulfill the law. In fact, until heaven and earth passes away, there will always be a law. There will always be a need for the law. And then in verse 20, he says this, but I tell you, Unless you have your righteousness surpassed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And in this sweeping statement, he's saying to the Jews who like the law and the Pharisees who obsess about the law, there's more. Just following the law, if you could, would not be enough. You see, the problem was the Pharisees and the Jews thought that they were following the law so much that they were white T-shirt people. That They would look at many of the laws and certainly the Ten Commandments and say, man, I haven't murdered, I haven't coveted, I haven't cheated, therefore I can wear the, the white shirt of holiness. Jesus says, well, it's nice that you think that, but it's not true. He, he says, you see, a lot of turkey-based sinners, right? Their sin is big and they're bold and ugly. They are the ones who are visibly committing atrocities. Yeah, you may not be, be like them, but let me tell you, there's other kinds of people too whose sin is a lot more subtle, doesn't make a big splash, but it creates a lot of drops. And whether your sin has created a big splash or just a series of little dots, it's still not the perfect holy standard that God sets. Jesus is saying, you think you can wear the white T-shirt? because you haven't caused a big splash with your sin. But if you knew how holy God is, and if those around you knew the state of their heart, they would realize that their lives are stained as well. So Jesus begins this teaching. And it's a teaching not of the outward stuff that we do. It's a teaching of the heart. It's a teaching that is caused to align our hearts with the heart of God because Jesus knows that our actions come from our hearts and our desires. And so if we're going to have right action and we're going to look like him in the world, then first of all, we need right heart. And so in this moment, he talks about what it means to have the desires of our hearts aligned to Him. Verse 21, you've heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, for whoever murders will be subject to judgment. What Jesus is doing here, He's talking about commandment number six, I think it is, on the Ten Commandments. The ancestors he's talking about are Moses and every generation since who have shared the Ten Commandments. This code of behavior, this way to live. It says, if you break this commandment number six, to not murder, then you will face judgment. The word judgment here doesn't just mean judgment on earth. It means judgment before God. This is one of those big splash sins. If you murder someone, you'll be judged. The the word murder here talks about intentionally killing someone. It's not manslaughter. It's not killing someone by accident. It's not about killing someone in a just war. It's about having the intent to murderously kill someone. And he says, if you do that, if you commit that big splash sin, then you will be judged. Everybody knew that. No surprise there. Verse 22, though, Jesus says, let's take that a little bit deeper. But I tell you, as he speaks with such authority, everyone who is angry with his brother and sister will be subject to judgment as well. Jesus is saying this same judgment, this same punishment before God that is received for those who murder, that same punishment, that same standard, that same separation occurs to those who get angry with one another. Jesus is saying, you may think that you don't have a big splash on your T-shirt because you haven't murdered someone. But let me tell you, the stain and the splash of being angry towards someone is just as despicable, just as violating to God as murdering. You know, we hear that and we think that's not fair. And it's right and appropriate that in our world we have higher standards for those who murder than those who hate. But Jesus is saying you've got to understand God the Father in heaven who creates this law of love for you, who is absolutely crazy about you, Is perfect and pure. And the stain of sin, whether from the big splash of murder or the little drop of hatred, still pollutes you. It's still a sin that separates you from the holiness of God. This word anger here is a very specific word as well. There were two words that talked about anger. The first one was this kind of flash-in-the-pan anger. You know, the kind that rises real quickly and descends pretty quickly as well. That, that kind of temporary anger that we experience when we're driving on the street and someone cuts us off. But there's also a kind of anger that he's talking about here, which is an anger that dwells in us for a long time. It's one that broods and brews. It's one that we nurture in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, and the way that we write people off. And Jesus says... It doesn't matter if your sin is a big splash of murder or if your sin is a little splash of anger, it's still a splash. It's still going to be judged by God. Man, this is such a powerful teaching. This is so revolutionary and it's so hard for us. And I would suggest to you that a lot of the times when Christians don't act like Christ, it's not because we do the big splash sins, although we know how to do those. It's because of the heart sins that we commit, the anger that we hold and the way that in so many subtle and powerful ways that manifests itself. What Jesus is saying here is if you want to align your heart with mine, you cannot have a heart that hates. You cannot have a heart. Hatred in our heart. He goes on to say it this way. Whoever insults his brother and sister will also be subject to the court. When he talks about court, he's talking about this judgment again. In fact, this word insult, uh, if some of you have got an older translation of the Bible, the word insult won't be there. It will be this word, rasha, which isn't really a word, and it's there in some verses because we don't know how to translate it. It's more of an attitude, it's more of a tone, it's more of a, a contempt. What Jesus is saying, if you have contempt to people, that's not going to look good for you before God. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. This word fool. The original word there is where we get our word moron says if you call someone an idiot and you're really believing that in your heart, then you are demeaning who God says they are and you are valuing them less than God values them. And therefore, there's a way in which you're murdering the identity which God has in them. If Christians want to act like Christ, the first thing that we need to do is to have a heart that does not hate, that does not murder. That's pretty obvious. But it gets a little bit harder with these smaller sins, right? Anger and insults and foolishness. Jesus is saying, if you want to fulfill the law, it's not just about the big stains that you don't do. It's about the small splashes as well. Jesus is saying, as a result of this, there is not one of us who is without sin. Paul tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is just saying that. Paul says that our sin separates us from God. But the sin need not have the final word because Jesus on the cross, the good news of the gospel is that he forgave sins, right? That he took our sin-stained shirts and replaced them with a pure white one so that we could be in heaven one day with God. But we don't get there and we don't represent him well without receiving his forgiveness, and that forgiveness roots out anger and insult and hurt. If Christians want to act like Christ, we need a heart that doesn't hurt or hate people. Now again, just to say when we hear verses like that, the first thing that we do It's to say, man, that's good. That's some more Christian ammo to tell those who are insulting and those who are acting foolish and those who are anger, how wrong they are. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying to people who follow him, to me and you, do not use this standard towards others. Use it to yourself. Don't use this stuff to judge other people's hearts. Use it to purify your own. The only people we should be judging with this are ourselves. But if Christians want to act like Christ, the first thing we need is a heart that does not hate. It's all about the heart Verse 23. Second thing that we need if we want to reflect Christ, if we want to be Christians who act like Christ, is that we need a heart that is right before people. Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar... And you remember that your brother and sister is something against you, leave your guest there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled. So, when people were going to worship in these days, they would come to church with some of their stuff. Maybe it was some of their money, a, a, a tithe, an offering. Maybe it was an animal to sacrifice. And we read that that was an appropriate act of worship, that to give ourselves before worship to God is a good thing. It's what we're supposed to do. God loves the gifts that we give him. But in this moment, Jesus says that's all well and good and nice. But God cares more about your relationships with each other than the gifts and the platitudes that you're going to give to him. He's, he's saying, look, if you come to, to church, and maybe you're going to put your offering in the plate, but you're in wrong relationship with something, with someone, don't worry about that gift. If you're saying to God, God, I want to give you my best. But the sin and shame and brokenness and anger and bitterness and someone who's, who's really messed you and hurt you or you've hurt them. God says, go and work that out. The second way that we align our hearts with Christ is that we need a heart that is right with people. We need to be people who are quick to go and say, I was wrong. Quick to say, I'm sorry quick to own our hurt, quick to own our pain. That's the sacrifice that God wants from us. It says in 1 Samuel that to obey God is better than to sacrifice to God. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Make it right. If there's a distance in your relationship, as much as it depends on you, fix it. Now we know we've all been in relationships, so we've tried and done everything we can, but we can't reconcile the relationship because of the other person. As much as it depends on you, have a heart that loves, that seeks people out, that wants to build relationships. We cannot go to God in prayer with hate in our heart unless our first prayer is to ask God to help us do something about that hurt and that hate. To obey is better and sacrifice 25 reaches settlement quickly with your adversity while you're on your way with him to court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown in prison truly i tell you you will never get out there until you have paid the last penny what's going on there jesus is saying the same thing relationships matter a lot to god Don't pretend that everything is all right between you and God if you are causing problems between you and men. The situation here is that there are two people in a dispute and they're going to court to sort it out. There was a law in this time where two people who were in a dispute would actually walk to court together. And the thought behind that was that as soon as they got into the court, the matter became an issue for the judge. And so the hope of two rivals walking to court together was that they could settle their dispute on the way because as soon as they walked through the doors of the court, then resolution was out of their hands. And so Jesus says, Get it done before you walk through the doors where that pain and that bitterness and that brokenness is out of your hands. Resolve things quickly. Be in right relationship with people. We cannot have a pure relationship with God while we're still annoyed and angry and hurting and hating people around us. If we want a heart... To align to Jesus, not just do we not hate people, but we do all that we can to get right with people. Thirdly, and I wrap up here, verse 27. Jesus has spoken about having anger, insult, contempt in our heart. He's talked about The importance of getting our relationships right with one another. If we're going to get our relationship with God right. And then he dives into another issue that was prevalent among the Pharisees and is prevalent among us. He says, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, this was another thing that some of the the Pharisees were proud of. I got a white t-shirt because I haven't committed adultery. That big splash, that big stain of sin isn't on me because I've never slept with someone who's not my wife. Jesus says that's the big splash sin, but there are lots of little small splash sins that are just as painful, just as violating, just as corrupting. You may not have committed the big splash sin, but I tell you everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I think what Jesus is talking about here in this whole passage is about the deep desires of our heart. So I've met over the course of my life and ministry a number of men whose adultery has cost them everything. More than they realized family, kids, grandparents, uh, grandkids, jobs, income. Lost everything for a dumb mistake. I've met with women who have suffered at the hands of men who had committed adultery. I have met with children whose lives have been turned upside down because a parent committed adultery. I- I've met at least a couple of times that I can recall with people who have murdered other people, who have taken the life of another. And as I've met with all these people, whether murderers or adulterers, they have one thing in common. They didn't want to do it. It wasn't like they got up one morning and said, hey, how can I take a life? I've stood at the altar with all kinds of couples who've made that commitment to be faithful to one another. And in that moment, none of them wanted to to have a relationship that ended because of adultery. Here's what I want to say. Their deep desire, our deep desire, is to do that which is right. But what happens in these heart issues that Jesus is talking about is that our deepest desires are not our strongest desires. Just think about this for a moment. Our deepest desires to live lives of faithfulness and love towards one another are not always. Our strongest desires. We've all been in that, that moment, right? When the desire to do wrong is just so strong. We're angry, we hate, we're frustrated. And the strong desires get in the way of the deep desires. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. I've been chewing on this all week and I want to get get it right. But so often our deep desire does not have the strength of our strong desires. And so we succumb to temptation and to the violation of these hard things. Because the lesser desires in our life for a moment are stronger than the deeper desires. Met with several adulterers, none of them wanted to do it, all of them regret it. But in a moment, that strong desire was more than the deep desire. Like I said, I've met with a couple of people who have committed murder, and it's, and it's, it's ugly and it's heinous and it's horrible. None of them wanted to. But there was a strong desire in the moment that was bigger than the deep desire not to. So Jesus says, Here's what we do about this. If your right eye causes you to sin, gorge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What Jesus is saying here is obviously uh, hyperbole. He's not talking literally here. But he's saying if there's a problem in your life, if there's a problem in your heart, if there's a problem with your eyes or there's a problem with your hand or if there's a problem with with lust or a problem with anger, do what you have to do to stop doing that. Get in touch with the deeper desire of your life, which is to do right which is to please God, which is to reflect Christ. If there's a problem, get rid of it. Just to take this little thought from Jesus to the next level as well. Have you ever tried to not think about something so much that you can't help but think about it? That's often how it works, isn't it, in our humanity? I don't need that extra piece of chocolate cake. I don't need that extra piece of chocolate cake. I'm not going to call Miss Linda and ask me to make me a cake even though she makes the best cakes, right? I can't even think like that. But when I think not like that, when I try to not think like that, what happens? I want the piece of cake more, right? So here, I don't think Jesus is saying, if you got anger in your life, or if you've got a broken relationship in your life, or if you've got lust in your life, you cannot outthink that temptation. Because actually by trying not to think about that temptation, it actually gives that temptation greater strength, right? And so that temptation becomes stronger than our deepest desire I think what Jesus is saying by this last part of the passage is that if we want to align our heart with Him, we need to do whatever it takes to align our strongest desire with our deepest desire. Acting like Jesus, in this world, happens best when the deepest desire of our heart is aligned with the strong desire of our heart. I think what Jesus is saying in this passage is when you want to get angry, want me and my love more. Let that become the deep desire and the strong desire of your heart. You know, when you want to do your religious thing and give you a gift, but you can't because you're really annoyed at someone. Let that deep desire to be right with God become the strongest desire in your life. When when lust hits you, which we know it does, and this isn't just a guy problem. When lust hits you, desire Jesus more. Let your passion for him, your desire for him, become the strongest desire in your life. Matthew 5, Jesus is saying... Following God is like a clean t-shirt. That's what heaven is like before our holy God. But we live in a world where we have some huge, I'm not even going to pick that up, it's so dirty, some huge splash sins and some little drip sins. They're all sins that separate us from God. And he's saying, I just want you to know, it's not the splash sins that will get you in trouble. It's the drip sins as well. So turn from your sin. Turn to God. Want Him above all things that His way, His name, His righteousness, His glory becomes the strongest, deepest desire of your heart. Christians are going to act like Christ. We need a heart that does not hate people, a heart that is right with people, and a heart that values people. When we look at And we see the value that He adds to people. Not only do our hearts align with him, but our hearts and our influence increases. Has anyone seen the movie Secretariat about the horse, Triple Crown winner? Great story. After the horse secretariat died, they did a little bio on him to make him find out what was so special about him. And they found out that his heart was three times bigger than the average horse heart. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that his victories, his success happened because he had a bigger heart. The reality for us is that so often we do not live victorious lives that reflect Christ's Because hate and selfishness and lust and all that stuff shrinks our heart. But the remarkable thing is, as we love God's people, as we value God's people, as we make right with people, our heart expands and our lives become more victorious. Jesus says, it's not just about the big splash sins. It's about the little drip sins. All of us have sinned. All of us are in need of grace. And today God says to each and every one of us, I got grace for that. I got forgiveness for that. I got life for that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is a real hard teaching that you gave us. Lord, part of us would find it, many of us would find it a whole lot easier is if we just had a few rules to keep. We're just not very good. Lord, we confess this morning that in our lives, there are big splash sins that are obvious. But beneath that, there are lots and lots and lots of ugly little splash sins that corrupt us and separate us from you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that through your death and resurrection... Through your faithfulness and obedience, you won forgiveness for us that cleaned up our filthy rags and forgave us for all unrighteousness. Lord, as people who are claiming that forgiveness because we're desperately in need of that forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to reach deep down inside of us. Replace our anger with a love for our enemies. And replace our selfishness with a desire to make right with people and replace our lust that strips people of value to become people who value one another because you value us. Lord, may the deepest desire of our heart become the strongest desire of our heart. so that we can live for you and with you and as you in this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.